Um, it's so good to be with you this morning. My name is John Perrine. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmanuel Anglican. This morning, our theme as we've journeyed through the whole Bible is surprised by joy, this unexpected moment that just captures you, fills you with a reason to blow confetti and dance around and sing. And as I think about this moment, I'm actually taken back to a scene that happened a little over 100 years ago. You can go with me there in your imaginations. 100 years ago, it was 1914, and the world had just erupted into war. So Germany had blitzed through Belgium. Uh, the French and British allies had come pressing back against Germany, and there along the France border, trenches would begin to form that would last the next four years in a brutal and devastating war. However, Christmas Eve... 1914, something surprising happened. As the British and German soldiers were facing off, suddenly German soldiers started to sing, sing Christmas carols in German. And as the British soldiers listened, some British soldiers began to sing along the same tunes in English. Before any officers could stop it, some German and British soldiers had started rising their heads above their trenches looking at each other, and soldiers began to put down their weapons and actually stand up, get out of the trench, and walk towards the middle of no man's land. This event would be called the Christmas Truce of 1914. It was not orchestrated by anyone. It just erupted spontaneously. And there's these amazing stories as German and British soldiers interacted with each other, exchanging gifts, exchanging coffee, exchanging cigarettes. Uh, there's one story of a German barber who used to work in England, who met one of his clients there and decided to just give him an impromptu haircut, just like old times. Another story that I love came from the Scottish area of the front. Of course, knowing the Scots, someone had brought a soccer ball, and suddenly there in the middle of no man's land, a soccer game started to take place between the Scottish and German sources. Apparently, the Germans won they still remembered it well after the war was over. So what was going on here in this moment, this surprising moment of joy that these soldiers were able to encounter? Well, if, if this moment itself was surprising, perhaps what's even more surprising were the number of places across the front. In fact, most military historians think a majority of the area along the front, this surprising moment of joy did not take place. In fact, for most areas across the front, as those carols started to get sung, as a soldier or two started to rise up, many soldiers did not participate in this impromptu truce that was happening. And as I go back and think about it, just sympathetically, I mean, I think I can understand why a soldier would be afraid to get out of the trench, right? Perhaps the soldier was skeptical of the opposing side's intention. Perhaps there was a controlling officer standing next to you in the trench just barking in your ears, don't you dare get out of this trench. It's not worth it. You're not going to get back. We're going to treason you. Perhaps it was just the fear of rising your head to look out over the trench you found yourself in. Whatever the reason, most soldiers did not participate. Only a small minority of the trench, uh, of the front line experience this truce. Well, I want to take you back to one of our lessons that we received. It's lesson 7 on page 18. 
I'm going to take you back to this night, this moment in the scriptures where fear is going to be confronted by joy. So if you look with me at this passage, Luke 2, verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, our shepherds this morning had a little bit of pizzazz. There was a little something special going on with our shepherds. But the point of these shepherds in Luke's story is really just how ordinary and mundane a night this would have been with just ordinary and mundane people. Shepherds were not anything special. They were not particularly educated. They were not particularly religious. They were just part of the working class doing their job, probably in the same field that they'd been in hundreds of times, counting sheep while the night wandered away in front of them. And as we think about these shepherds, I'm just struck at how similar our own lives often feel. There's just this routine of ordinariness that flows throughout our days. It's like we go to work from 9 to 5, and then from 5 to 9 we watch Netflix, and then we look forward to our next paycheck, and when we get paid, we look forward to getting paid again, and then we kind of anticipate that maybe around Christmas time or the summer we might go somewhere on a vacation. And then as soon as we get back from vacation, we go to work and we start looking forward to the next vacation. But suddenly, for these shepherds, in their ordinariness, just as you and I in our ordinary existence, something extraordinary and supernatural is going to happen. If you look with me at verse 9. There, in the field, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, our angel was quite cute and adorable. Uh, This angel, I have a feeling, was probably not quite as adorable as the one that we witnessed. In fact, most people, when they encounter an angel in the Bible, end up falling flat on their face. And some of the reason why is that angels, in Jewish thinking, were there right by God's side. We're there at the throne of God. This angel had probably just come directly from God's throne in heaven and was appearing with a message sent by God for these shepherds. It's kind of an extraordinary and surprising moment. The God of the universe has sent one of his personal assistants to come deliver a message to these shepherds. If you look with me at the end of verse 9, their response is to be terrified. Verse 9 says, And they were filled with great fear. Great fear. I think, again, for many of us, as we reflect honestly on our own lives, honestly on just this ordinary pace, these ordinary rhythms and rituals that start to fill our lives, we too with the shepherds would be a little afraid if God suddenly showed up with a message for us. But if we think about our lives, this often tends to happen in ways we don't expect. Perhaps for you, God shows up in the form of a Christian, just someone who's devout and passionate and kind of disrupts your ways of thinking. Perhaps for some of us, God shows up in the form of a sickness or an illness or a loss. And suddenly, in light of death in light of a cancer diagnosis, we suddenly find ourselves reflecting urgently with great fear 
who God might be, what God might be up to, why God would be involved in this way. For others of us, the message from God can come in something as simple and beautiful as a Sunday morning, just like this, where the scriptures are read and suddenly you feel something moving inside you. Perhaps you, like the shepherds, like those soldiers, perhaps you feel a little bit of fear around what it would mean if God showed up for a message for you. Fear, perhaps, that your skepticism, some of those doubts that you've been holding on to, that, that long time ago when you brushed God out of your life, pushed God off to the side of your existence, maybe fear that that skepticism would have to be released, fear that this God might actually ask something of you, require something of you, perhaps fear just who this God will be. Is this God kind? Is he cruel? Is this God disappointed with me? Does he have a plan for me I don't want? Yet as this angel shows up to these shepherds and they're filled with great fear, the angel has an encouraging word for them. Verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all So in the moment of great fear, in this panic moment where the shepherds are lying face down on the ground and they're terrified what God might have to say to them, the angel instead says, I have come with good news, and instead of great fear, I'm actually going to give you great joy. Great joy. Have you ever tasted great joy in your life? Like if I were to sit down and ask you, what What's the most joyous moment you can possibly think of? Often, moments of joy are are kind of ordinary. They're kind of simple, and they come to us unexpectedly. I, as I I try to go back in my memory and tap into joy, I I do just think of this one strange memory I have as a child. Perhaps you have something like this, where I was lying on my back on a hill, just not doing anything, as children sometimes do, staring up at the sky, and I just remember feeling this overwhelming sense of desire, longing, but wholeness all at the same time. This this experience can come back as I sometimes listen to songs that are particularly haunting but beautiful. Sometimes when I'm watching a movie and I just start to feel tears well up in my eyes. It's often when you see these moments between people where someone who's been gone away for a long time suddenly reappears like a soldier returning to his family. Or perhaps joy is that moment on a wedding day where you just happen to glimpse the groom's face as the bride is walking down the aisle, right? Joy joy holds all this potential, all this wonder, yet joy is also so mysterious, isn't it? Like when you think about what it takes to feel joy, could you just sum up joy any old time you please? Or if I were to tell you, hey, just uh, be joyous this Christmas. You think it's likely on Christmas Day that you're going to actually experience joy? Well, as uh, thinkers have reflected on joy, what joy is, how to find joy, there actually was this monumental study done by Yale University just a couple years ago on the subject of joy. And the question they were asking is, if joy seems so wonderful but is also so mysterious, like how do you get joy? Where do we find joy? 
This study put together this whole team of scholars, psychologists, sociologists, philosophers, economists, all kinds of fields of study came together, and as they reflected on this question, there were two major findings that they all could agree on. The first is that joy was distinct from pleasure and happiness. So, so often for many of us, when we think about joy, when we're looking for great joy, we show up to something familiar, something anticipated, uh, something that we really think we can look forward to, and yet often what we discover waiting for us is simply a moment of pleasure or a moment of happiness. So I think of great feasts like Thanksgiving. Every year I'm like, oh man, this is going to be good. This is the year I've been waiting for this meal. It's coming. And then I sink my teeth into turkey and it's fine. You know, it's, it's good. I'm a little happy. But joy is something different. Joy is so much more full. It's so much more resonant. The second finding that this Yale study concluded after talking to all these different fields was that joy cannot actually be sought out, but joy always comes unexpectedly as a gift. You ever notice that if you think back on joy? Like that moment I was laying on a hill, sort of staring up at the sky, I wasn't expecting to find joy, but instead in this moment, it just came to me unexpectedly. It was just there waiting for me like a gift couldn't do anything to earn it. I couldn't plan for it. I couldn't go back looking for it again. In fact, so often for so many of us, if you ever have had a favorite song or a favorite movie that moved you the first time you see it, we go back and return to it looking for joy to be waiting for us again, and we simply discover just a momentary pleasure. Joy has this wonderful and surprising effect. You simply can't force it but joy is always given to you as a gift. So one of the main thinkers on joy, a man by the name of C.S. Lewis, he's referred to a lot in this Yale study. C.S. Lewis is well known for his Chronicles of Narnia books, um, later in his life become an apologist, a Christian. But for a lot of his adult life, C.S. Lewis was actually an atheist, and he ironically, in light of my opening story, fought in World War I. He would have been one of those soldiers who was there in the trenches and did not experience that Christmas truce. As Lewis grew up, he just he couldn't quite find a need for God. Like he just he just didn't really get God. He didn't like God. He didn't want God. But as Lewis is reflecting on his life, he wrote this memoir titled "Surprised by Joy." Same theme we've been exploring this morning. In it, Lewis said that as much as he didn't want God. Lewis couldn't help but long for this sensation of joy. Lewis actually tells the story of being a little boy, much like I was, and his moment of joy was him standing in a room in a nursery, having his brother just bring in this ordinary tin can filled with dirt and some plants, and there were some of their toys in there. And Lewis said whatever was going on in this moment, it was like this rush just comes over him as a child, and he remembers it. It's like he felt this extreme fullness, this welling up of joy inside. As he talks about it, this is Lewis's own words reflecting on it, he said, it's difficult to find words strong enough for the sensation that came over me. It was a sensation, of course, of desire, but desire for what? Before I knew what I desired, the desire itself was gone, the whole glimpse withdrawn, 
the world turned commonplace again, or only stirred by a longing for the longing that had just ceased. And Lewis is going to say, I call that sensation joy, and in a sense, the central story of my entire life is about nothing else. Have you ever had one of those moments of joy? Does it, does it haunt you like it haunted Lewis? Lewis would go on to say that he spent his whole life looking for joy. He would go anywhere he thought joy might be waiting for him. He studied poetry, he studied literature, he delved deep into the arts, and yet repeatedly over and over again, just like this Yale study said, Lewis found that every time he thought he could grasp joy, every time he thought he could earn it, it was never there waiting for him. But instead, in these moments, right about when he was thinking of giving up hope on his quest, joy would just come bursting, and it'd be like this echo of a song that was whispering to Lewis, calling him back to his quest. This morning, as you have joined us, perhaps there is a very real fear of what it might mean if God showed up in your life. Perhaps there's a very real hesitancy and nervousness. Perhaps like these shepherds, it's overwhelming to even consider what it would mean if God were to appear with a message for you. This angel says he has good news that could actually fill us with great joy. Great joy. What is this message that the angel has come to deliver? Look with me one more time at our passage. The angel is going to say in verse 11, here's his good news. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, I know this passage may be familiar as you've heard the Christmas story before, but imagine being a shepherd lying there on the ground and hearing the good news that this day a Savior had been born. Someone had just been born who could save you. If you go back and think through your fears, I mean, imagine someone who could save you from skepticism. Imagine someone who could save you from the need to control everything in your life, from that grip you have every time someone gets sick or every time something goes wrong. Imagine if you knew someone born who could save you from fear itself, that sort of gnawing dread and you're falling asleep at night, and you just can't seem to settle in. What does it mean that the angel says a Savior was born? Well, the angel goes on to say in verse 12, this will be a sign for you, that there in a manger you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. In the midst of all of the chaos, all of the distractedness, in the midst of just our ordinariness, I'm relieved that the angel points to a sign. This is the sign that's given to us, just this small, humble, lowly baby. For any of us who are afraid, afraid of who this God might be, the angel says, I've come to give you a sign who this God is. But finally, in perhaps the most surprising moment, verse 13, suddenly, there with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, appeared. I mean, if it was startling to have one messenger from God show up, imagine thousands upon thousands streaming from the throne of God himself and suddenly filling the sky in front of you to declare this song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace 
among those with whom he is pleased. This is the message of Christmas, that here in a manger was born God himself who came to bring peace to humanity. The very goodwill, the restoration of goodwill towards humanity happened in the birth of Jesus Christ. The lead thinker of this study of Yale is actually a theologian by the name of Merzlaw Volf. And as he was reflecting on this study's finding about joy, he couldn't help but point to the Christian faith as he said, you know, it, think about joy as if it's, a, if it's more than pleasure, if it's more than happiness, and if it's this unexpected, surprising gift. I think the only way we could receive joy is if God himself could offer it to us. If God could confer it upon us. Here in the story of Jesus Christ, the gift of joy has been restored to you. If only you will receive it. Now I know for many here, it is difficult to receive a gift of joy. And in fact, it's probable that our fears, just like those soldiers trapped in the trenches, can often hold us back from the very gift God wants to bring us. Yet if that is you this morning, if there is fear holding you back, you should know you're not alone. In fact, you're in great company. C.S. Lewis describes for himself this night, this moment in his life when God truly showed up. I'm going to read it for you. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen College, Oxford, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. But what I didn't know then was that the hardness of God was kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. What C.S. Lewis is getting at is that there, in the midst of his fear, all it took was sinking to his knees, praying that God was actually God, in order to taste finally and fully that joy he'd been looking for his entire life. So as I close, I just wonder for you, has joy been whispering to you across your story? Have you been hearing the echoes of this great song? that God has actually come to make peace with man? And is it possible that God, even now this morning, is trying to show up in your life? Is it possible that God's been speaking to you? He has a message for you that he wants to invite you, just as he did these shepherds, to come to the manger this Christmas, to come meet Jesus, to come receive Jesus as that Savior that you've been desperately in need of your whole life. Let me close with a moment of prayer to just give you space to listen to what it is God might be saying to you. God, there are so many reasons to be afraid when you show up in our lives. This morning, God, I just want to praise as those shepherds did this good news. And instead of fear, we can actually taste joy. So if that's you this morning, if, if there's 
something that God has been doing, speaking to you, there's really just a simple prayer you can say in response. God, I want to release the control of my fear. And instead, God, would you surprise me with the joy of Jesus Christ? Come, Lord, bring your joy. Lord, I pray for all here who are looking for joy, who are asking for it, that you would come meet them with the joy of your salvation this Christmas, that they would find there in the manger the very Savior they've been looking for. Come now, Jesus, we thank you and we celebrate you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.